So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome back to the show. I hope you're really well and the projects that you're working on at the moment are proving to be a great success. And I also hope you've enjoyed the last few episodes with innovation expert Tendai Vicky and also that all-important hybrid working theme that we touched on last week. We'll definitely dive into that in more detail soon. Our recent Members Club event was a huge success around exploring how we could improve mental health in the workplace. And it was brilliant to see that community of entrepreneurs, football managers and corporate execs all mixing together to share their personal stories and strategies about how we can optimise mental health in the workplace. If you want to join, remember, you can use podcast 100 as the discount code for a free month and you can watch that session back alongside all of the learning resources and toolkits that we've got inside that incredible library at sportingedge.com forward slash membership. But this key theme of mental health is going to be so important in this next phase of the way we work in this hybrid model. We definitely need to rethink the way we're operating. Many of my clients are experiencing ridiculous pace, pressure and change all at the same time, which is okay in short bursts, but we can't sustain that without burnout. So we need to rethink it and challenge the system. But it's been brilliant to support some new clients as well. We've been supporting Fraser's Group, Polypipe and the leading Scottish law firm, Burnus Paul, on their quest for high performance. So to see and hear the stories of their managers using our digital content across the organisations to inspire culture change is really, really rewarding for myself and the other Sporting Edge team members. And I really believe that those mindsets and behaviours from the world of high performance definitely come across into business. So if anyone needs any help with that at keynote speeches or workshop, or if you need digital content to spark this innovative culture, then just drop me a note through to hello at sportingedge.com and I'd love to help. Since we last spoke, England's got some new cricket coaches for the men's team and uh, I'm sure we can dig into that at some point over the summer. And Man City have won their fourth Premier League title in five years. I've posted a couple of debates on LinkedIn, which are quite active. It seems like Klopp is the people's favourite and uh, the critics would love to see Pep Guardiola take over at somewhere like Burnley to truly test his credentials when the budgets are lower 
um, than he's used to. But I, I personally think that's a bit misguided. I think he's absolutely incredible as a leader. You know, money doesn't buy you uh, the best team culture and it definitely doesn't guarantee you success. Uh, and in some ways, some of the highest profile players in the world are even more mercurial and harder to manage. So I actually had the privilege of interviewing Pep Guardiola a few years ago for the League Managers Association for a, a private audience with his peers, uh, the other elite managers. And his passion for the game and the impact of his inspirational mentor, Johan Cruyff, were really evident immediately, as was his tactical brain, which was whirring away like an algorithm in search of the perfect tactics for each game situation. And we saw that at the weekend with that substitution of Ilkay Gundogan. Uh, it was absolutely genius. And um, I'm really glad they handled the pressure too, because their recent Champions League loss would have still been in their minds when they went 2-0 down. So um, I think Pep Guardiola's got that contagious energy. You definitely want to play for him. He'd challenge you for sure. But there's a warmth and a charisma there with him that uh, will definitely give you high support. So today we're going to explore a very different world, but as ever, the lessons that we'll learn translate perfectly across into sport, business or whatever field you're in. We're going inside the mind of a champion musician and orchestra conductor. Here's a sample of what's ahead. As the conductor, you are the only person that everyone can see. And that puts you in a very powerful position to be useful to the orchestra. And uh, obviously, while the music is being played, I'm not speaking, but I'm communicating through gesture. You need to have a fundamental curiosity as a coach and interest in what other people do. Um, I think merely going in to try and tell people what they should do and to really have a message which is already decided upon rather than really responding to the person who's there with you is not the way to go. I was naturally musical and somehow when I started to push in that direction, things seemed to flow. And that's a good sign, isn't it? Because there's an awful long way to go and an awful lot to get through. Orchestras need to be disciplined, they need to be well aligned, they need to be well prepared, um, they need to be resilient and uh, they need to be consistent. And it involves a lot of people and uh, clear leadership, inspired leadership. And we all know what it sounds like when that works. So the orchestra is fascinating because all of these different roles are present. And I think they have a great analogy uh, to the business world. That's the voice of Dominic Aldis, who I really enjoyed meeting and found absolutely fascinating. As you'll hear, the parallels between his world of music and other high performance domains are amazing. And of course, so vivid when you use the analogy of music to bring these principles to life. Here's Dominic explaining how he first became a musician. Well, I come from a musical family. Uh, my father was a conductor, my mother a violinist, so I just grew up uh, surrounded by music and I guess it was not unusual that I ended up making music as a career. Um, I suppose significantly, when I was a teenager, I discovered jazz. So my little rebellion against their perhaps classical uh, influence was to get really passionate about jazz music. 
And then when I left school education, I was a professional jazz musician. I went to Paris, played on the Paris jazz scene, came back to London, started teaching and lived between London and Paris for a period. And I suppose the significant thing there is to say that teaching was a big thing for me. And I think if you ever want to learn to do something really well, to try and explain it to someone else and clarify your thoughts in that way can be very instructive. And in a way, that sowed the seed for things that came later, such as uh, studying my company, Music and Management, and using music uh, as a way of talking about things in the corporate world. So for me, it brings together my interest in teaching, classical music, jazz, and, and meeting people. So he's had a fascinating set of experiences with his career as a jazz pianist, which creates huge contrast, actually, with his role in maintaining the precision and the perfection of leading and coaching an international orchestra. I think we can all picture the smartly dressed conductor waltzing out in front of the audience, taking a slow bow and raising their baton, moving their arms in a series of spikes and curves in the rhythm to the music. So the obvious question to ask Dominic was, What's it all about? What is he doing when he stands at the front, in front of those talented musicians to bring them all together into the tempo and tone of the music? When people watch a conductor for the first time, uh, I think they're somewhat bemused as to how somebody standing up, waving their arms about, can have any, any real impact on a large group of musical professionals. But... You know, just think about it. As the conductor, you are the only person that everyone can see. And that puts you in a very powerful position to be useful to the orchestra. And uh, obviously, while the music is being played, I'm not speaking, but I'm communicating through gesture. And briefly, with my right hand, I give the beat, holding the bat on, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, whatever. And then my right hand, I can sort of add a little bit more you know, precision or passion or flow or crescendo or diminuendo, give more, uh, how, how can I say, more intensity to my other gestures. But I can do more than that. How I use my eyes, how I use my whole body just to convey the meaning of why we're there. And I think the other important point there is that people can respond to that or not. Nobody is obliged to watch me or look at me, but at certain times I may be helpful. And what's so wonderful in the best orchestras is, you know, you're in this process of living the music, expressing it non-verbally, and people check in from time to time just to see what it is that you're conveying. And that helps to create consensus. And ultimately, consensus leads to a fine performance. I love Dominic's vivid explanations. And if you're a member, you can see and watch the video of his mannerisms where he's got both hands moving beautifully and you can see the job that he's explaining. As he says, as the conductor, everyone can see you, the musicians and the audience but the conductor never turns around to check how the message is being received by the audience. They are fully immersed in feeling the music and the orchestra use Dominic as a central reference point. They check in 
And that creates consensus or alignment, as we would say in the corporate world, around the mood and the tempo that everyone is trying to achieve together. So this is how Dominic is able to bring the group together. But how does he inspire each individual? He may fly around the world and just needs to help someone to adjust their style like a sports or a sales coach would with their key performers. So this was my next line of enquiry. What are the characteristics of a good musical coach? I think one of the first things I would say is that you need to have a fundamental curiosity as a coach and interest in what other people do. Um, I think merely going in to try and tell people what they should do and to really have a message which is already decided upon rather than really responding to the person who's there with you is not the way to go, you know. Um, for me, the most satisfying element of teaching and of coaching is to really try and get into their head, their mind, what they're struggling with, what they need, and to just, through experience, to try and suggest some ways forward and to go through that journey together. It's, I think that feeling of it being a shared journey of discovery, I think, is a great starting point. And it builds trust, it builds um, communication, and hopefully, ultimately, leads to success. So that could easily have been a tennis coach or an executive coach describing their first session. That curiosity to understand the lived experience of their performer. To be patient, to observe and listen and to build trust. No one's even mentioned an instrument at this point. These are often called the soft skills, but these human factors are often the hardest to perfect, especially when we're target driven and impatient. But when we do, the performer feels like it's on their terms more. After all, who's the expert? The guy who's just flown in and is watching a hundred musicians or the person who's developed this personal style, these habits, these mannerisms, these insecurities, or these strengths for the last 10 years with this one particular instrument. We have to listen and ask great questions to understand their reality. And the doorway to change opens inwards. We can't knock it down. They have to open it knowing that it's safe to do so. And when we develop that trust and a performance partnership, as Dominic outlines, rather than a teacher and a student, we can achieve really special things through coaching. I was interested in the character traits Dominic saw in those that reached the very top. I barely got above playing London's Burning on the recorder at school, but I'm sure those grandmasters have got some incredible skills. So what makes them get to that next level? Well, the quest for mastery is uh, is a fascinating one. And I suppose the first thing to say is that uh, everyone has to start from nothing. And some people are going to find those earlier steps easier than others. One thing I do think is true, that if you're going to get to the highest level, to some extent you have to find it easier than others. And we all have things that we have strengths and weaknesses for. Uh, you know, I was not particularly scientific at school. If I'd made a career trying to be a scientist, I don't think I would have got very far, you know, to be honest. Um, I was naturally musical, and somehow, when I started to push in that direction, things seemed to flow. 
And that's a good sign, isn't it? Because there's an awful long way to go and an awful lot to get through. So that's what then gives you the motivation and the energy and the passion. And I think those are all connected. You know, if you're passionate about something, it gives you energy. If you have some aptitude for it, that's a motivator, which gives you more energy, which gives you more passion, so blah, blah, blah. Somewhere along the line, it's going to you know, come down to those few that get to a very, very high level, and then you end up at the conservatory or whatever, and you're competing with the very best, who are similarly motivated and passionate and uh, energized. And then the question is, what sets you apart? And I do think at that point, it becomes, you know, almost uh, magical what it is that some people have. You know, certainly in music, uh, things like we talk about charisma, we talk about um, a slight madness that some people have in the way that they perform that people find exciting. Uh, you know, people can be extremely good, extremely proficient, extremely reliable, but there's just not that element of madness that actually excites people. And, you know, we're all human. So, you know, we all know artists, musicians that we are just drawn to because there's just something wild about them. Um, that's part of human nature, and that's what makes a star. So I wonder if there's really mania in these masters, or is it just their flair and personality and originality that we get attracted to? Either way, it sounds like being yourself as a musician is a great strength. It allows you to stand out. I also love that truth that every virtuoso was once a beginner. That gives us the courage to start. So starting and practicing through those painful first stages is so important. But Dominic's language was revealing that when you discover something that you have an aptitude for, things start to flow effortlessly. So we start to see accelerated learning. We get more praise, which builds up our confidence. So we invest more time and effort and we persist through those setbacks. And that's when we feel like we're walking on a conveyor belt while those around us are walking on the road. This is a great insight from two perspectives. Firstly, it shows how hard work, perseverance and progress are intertwined. But it also illustrates why we should follow our natural strengths and passion rather than trying to do something that everyone else wants us to do or that everyone else is doing. Being a banker might pay well, but the compliance might break your heart if you haven't got that patience and discipline. Being an influencer on social media might sound amazing, but if you can't create 10 or 15 original pieces of content every day and withstand torrents of abuse, then you're just not going to be up to it. So when we play to our strengths and we're fueled by our passions, work doesn't seem like work. It feels like an intriguing adventure that we can't wait to chase down. Success is the byproduct, not the sole aim. And as we live in this world of total and utter comparison, it's never been more important to run your own race based on your own strengths and interests. So how do you corral the mad musicians into a perfectly harmonised orchestra? Well, this is another powerful analogy for our own teams. In a world that reveres leaders, 
the orchestra is a great example of followership, where every single individual understands their role in the overall performance. Let's take a listen to 30 seconds of one of Dominic's orchestras producing their magic. Beautiful, and Dominic was standing at the front of the uh, musicians calmly and serenely, bringing them together into one voice, as he calls it. But how do we do that when everyone is focused and perhaps nervous about delivering their own particular role? Well, I find the orchestras interesting also because there are different roles. There's the role of the trumpet, for example. doesn't play very often, but when it plays, everyone hears it. So their skill set is around absolutely being present even when they're not playing so that when that moment comes to play, they can produce a fantastically clear note with confidence. Contrast that, for example, with the double bass, which is an accompaniment instrument. It's about support, reliability, consistency. It's an instrument which is there to give other people security. That's a different role, a different skill. A violin, for example, there may be 20 or 30 in a section and it's about uh, being able to synchronize and blend what you do with the other musicians so that it sounds with one voice. And just the intensity and concentration that you need to maintain to play so many notes and to carry the theme is a different role again. So the orchestra is fascinating because all of these different roles are present and I think they have a great analogy uh, to the business world. They certainly do. And you may well be thinking, who's the trumpet player in my team or who's playing the double bass? The idea of the musicians knowing when they're in the spotlight and when they're waiting in the wings is brilliant. It's the same in our business teams. One day you could be leading a project and the next day you've got to be equally happy supporting another project. Just because we're not in the spotlight doesn't mean we switch off and leave our teammates to it. We need to keep supporting the overall aim, which is to deliver an amazing experience for our audience, our customers or our fans. If we can get comfortable having this fluidity between being able to lead and being able to support without our egos getting in the way, then really special things can start to happen. And we'll achieve way more by being part of a high-performing team than we ever would have been able to achieve on our own. Now, I'm probably scarred by my school music solos on the recorder, but I was fascinated to hear how orchestras have this pinpoint precision 
And while we all aim for perfection, I'm sure even in Dominic's experience, there would be mistakes made. So I was fascinated to see how he spoke around that subject, which is part of every type of performance on earth. Well, to make a mistake in an orchestra, again, it depends a little bit on which instrument you're playing. If you're in the middle of the cellos and you play a wrong note, probably people aren't going to notice too much. But if you are the trumpet player and you come in a bar early or a bar late, everybody's going to know. So that's uh, hugely pressured. So certainly what we're trying to do within an orchestra is to minimize the risk of making mistakes. And you do that through practice. Practice preparation, concentration, focus. And you become very, very good at that and very expert. Mistakes within jazz, I think of in two ways. One thing is just a general attitude of curiosity as to what might emerge. So when things go wrong, you don't think, oh, I made a mistake. But you think, oh, how interesting. I wonder why I played that. Where might that take me? However, there are mistakes, I think, around carelessness rather than trying to do something new. And for me, that would be in jazz, if I started playing the wrong song <laughs> or I went into the wrong key or something like that, that would be sort of careless in a way. It means I'm not really paying attention. If I'm trying to play something really way out, different, and just seeing where it goes, and it doesn't quite work out as I expected, then I think that's great. Miles Davis very famously said, if there are no mistakes, it's a mistake. So we get a sense of two very different environments. Classical music has a plan written down by one of the great composers in history. The notes are there, and we need compliance, accuracy, discipline, and focus. Mistakes happen, but we shouldn't make a habit of them. On the other hand, we've got jazz, where musicians start with a key theme or a core idea, and then play in bursts off each other and respond to the uncertainty that it creates. There's no sheet music or strategy. It's more playful, and as a result, the mistakes are reframed as challenges to recover from and reposition yourself from. I wanted to take this a bit further with Dominic and see if his analogy could be applied to the corporate culture. Well, I would say that an organisation needs to have something of an orchestra and something of a jazz band to be truly successful going forward. So what am I saying? I'm saying that orchestras need to be disciplined, they need to be well aligned, they need to be well prepared, um, they need to be resilient, and uh, they need to be consistent. And it involves a lot of people and uh, clear leadership, inspired leadership. And we all know what it sounds like when that works. But uh, we also need to be creating music for the future. And that requires composers, but it also requires the spirit of jazz, which is experimentation, uh, flexibility, taking risks. And that tends to be what happens within small groups. I mean, you can't imagine a whole orchestra, everybody's just improvising at the same time. You do imagine a small jazz group improvising. Um, so what I like to think of sometimes is that uh, it's like an orchestra made up of small jazz bands. So there's something of that 
spirit of flexibility within all these small groups that can yet at the same time be part of the bigger organization. Um, and I think that's a nice analogy, a nice way of bringing together the best of the orchestra and the best of the jazz band. So Dominic supports corporate clients through his business, music and management. And far from seeing jazz and classical music as the end members of a continuum, Dominic's challenge is to blend the two and design the very best organisational culture. So maybe you work in the equivalent of a massive orchestra where compliance is the key. Or maybe you're in a messy startup where you're adapting off each other more like jazz. So this is where we need to think about how can we bring both of these mindsets together. Either way, we need to think about the future of the workplace. And while we might not be as methodical as Mozart, we need to think about how we can create a clear plan for everyone to align their roles against, to get clarity and to understand the roles that we play and the impact that we have when we work together. And we need our leaders to subtly signal with their gestures and their communications, the pace and the passion we need to deliver this wonderful symphony. But at the same time, we also need an experimental culture where new projects, new technology, new ideas are being tested like a jazz group. And we can tolerate small mistakes that are you know, not connected to the whole business model. And we let that innovative culture flourish. So the balance between the structure of the orchestra and the innovation of jazz, I think, is a beautiful reminder of how we need to remodel our cultures as we move forward. So I really hope you've enjoyed exploring the mindset of music and it's given you some fresh ideas for your team this week. Don't forget to connect on LinkedIn and to check out our members club and activate your free month using the code podcast100 at checkout. You can drop me a line at hello at sportingedge.com if you need any support on your leadership events or team building. Thanks so much for choosing the show and for sharing the show to accompany your dog walk uh, or your commute. And until next time, I wish you fanfares of trumpets as you enter your office and minor yet melodic mistakes. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.